I'm Chris. Really glad you're here on Mother's Day with us. I was going to add one more thing to what's already been spoken regarding things happening in the church. We're in the middle of of, uh, preparing for uh, two mission teams to go out this summer, one to East Asia and one to Nicaragua. And uh, we've been uh, gaining prayer support and financial support. And again, there's an update there in your in your bulletin, but I'm, I'm going as well. I'll be going to East Asia and want to personally thank you. Uh, many of you have already given. We're just so humbled and appreciate uh, the gifts that have already been given to help us get there. And I want, did want to pass on, hopefully this will inspire you and encourage you because you're a part of this. I have been uh, exchanging emails with one of the uh, friends that I met last year in East Asia. His name is Dong Shen. And um, he came to a camp of ours. He uh, did not grow up with any religious background. He uh, is an atheist uh, in terms of his um, uh, lack of belief in God, but was very interested. He had been meeting with a Canadian couple, a couple from Canada, that was uh, once a week meeting to help study the Bible with him. And uh, that couple had since moved on. He'll mention this in a moment. But I wanted to read you what he reported back to me in this recent email. He says, it is so nice to have your email. Actually, I've learned so much from you about how to pray and how to get along with myself when I am down, which is so significant to help me get through a tough period. The most remarkable event I want to tell you is that it seemed like I start to believe in the existence of God. And I feel I was released under the help of the Holy Bible. And these are his words, which I learned from a Canadian couple. Simultaneously, I believe that I will benefit surprisingly from this incredible book. Sorry state of affairs, though, I haven't found a true Christian to learn the Bible from. And I am still working on that. Again, because this couple moved, he's been trying to find another Christian with which to study the Bible. And that still hasn't materialized yet. So in the same hand, this note both is encouraging to see that God's working in this young man's life, but in another sense, again, underscores the need for us to go and to communicate Christ's love and to help those that are really searching and on this journey to, uh, to find God. Okay, let's jump into our next edition of the Sermon on the Mount. I cannot state enough how much and how meaningful prayer is in my life. I like to write my prayers. In my bedroom, uh, there is a, uh, a large box, banana-sized box, that is filled with my prayer journals. I like to write my prayers. I, it's not for everybody. Not everybody benefits from that. But those journals cover about 30 years of dreams, hopes, desires, Praises, prayers, expressions of love and adoration, requests and petitions. I, used to, I, I wrote about my days and those real life experiences and the emotions that accompany them were the subject of many or most of my prayers. Prayer has been my lifeline. It's helped me process tragedy. It's helped me battle against the encroachment of sin. It's helped me navigate through torments from within. When I am my own worst enemy. Prayer has played a significant role in the person that I have become. Before learning the quieting impact of prayer, I was a nervous 
jumpy and constantly on edge person. Um, when I was in college, I used to exasperate my mentors. I come from a family that is a self-confessed, high-strung, full-of-nervous-energy family. On top of that, if you did not know this, insurance raiders classify pastoral ministry as the second most stressful vocation, following only first responders. On top of that, about 30 times a year, I stand in front of people and speak. Here we call it sermons. Out there, out there, they call it public speaking, and people rate it as a fear worse than death itself. Prayer has been my key to experiencing peace within and peace without. God has given me emotional and physical well-being. My blood pressure is normal. And I praise God for that. It is the power of prayer. Prayer has kept me alive. How about you this morning? How about you? What is your relationship with prayer? What pictures come to your mind when you think of prayer? Now, we're surrounded by models of prayer. They are largely wanting. They're, they're insincere. There's the vision of the praying Sweating televangelist, wiping his brow, crying big alligator tears. Or there is the ritual prayer spoken as quickly and matter-of-factly as if replying to a telemarketer. Or there are the flowery and intellectually impressive prayers spoken to someone so personally compelling that we refer to him or to her or to it as the ground of our being, or the great eternal spirit. Maybe you have encountered someone patching together a prayer from every conceivable source. These are our performance prayers, like performing someone else's song. This is what Ben Stiller's character did in Meet the Parents, so just enjoy this little clip. Don't be afraid. Such are the models of prayer around us. I, I like the smorgasbord. Kind of. <laughs> Maybe these are your only working models. Maybe you've never seen prayer done in a simple or sincere way. Others of you have a little more experience with prayer. But perhaps you've grown bored or impatient with it. 
Prayer is so much working against it. Not only insufficient models, but our culture has become so dependent on visual stimulation. We are wildly visual and dependent on images that are emotionally evocative. Just last night, a 30-second Volkswagen commercial. With the sound turned down, elicited from me misty eyes. Prayer to an invisible God who does not instantly answer means we must sometimes push through silence. Faith and patience are prerequisites for learning prayer. Qualities like that in this culture are on the endangered list. And in this room here, are we affected by this culture? I think so. Because truth be told, we are not a praying church. We're not. The numbers don't lie. The spiritual survey that we took last year revealed that we are not faithful with daily prayer. We are not faithful in disciplines such as confessing our sins, our seeking guidance. Attendance in our corporate prayer gatherings has rarely been good. When people hear about a prayer meeting replacing another meeting or their life group for that week, what some hear is, oh, good, night off. I'm not sure why this is. I'm not sure why this is. When prayer opens up so much for us, when prayer connects us to the power of God and the energy of God, what it means union with God, when there's so much there for us, it, it boggles my mind why some of you think of prayer as this sort of foreign thing that doesn't connect with me and I'm not really interested in it. Ours is not the only culture to struggle with prayer. Jesus had to de- deconstruct the models in his day. And we should not be surprised that they too bore the characteristic of insincerity. Will you stand up and let's read his words. Beginning Matthew 6, verse 7. Jesus said this. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And let me read as well from chapter 7, verses 9, 7 through 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is God's word. Pray with me.
Father, we are all at different places on our journey. And if we are not yet a Christian or if we are a new Christian or if we are a veteran Christian, I pray that, Father, you would take something that I say this morning, something that you speak through me, and would catalyze that, make that come alive in each heart here so that we know what step we can take. I pray this for the glory of Christ. Amen. Amen. You be seated. Okay. What I see in this passage are three principles from the Lord's Prayer. One, it's relational. Two, it's centering. And three, it is visionary. And what we will see from each is that they move us from insincerity to sincerity, from performance to something real. First, it's relational. We see it right off the bat in how God is addressed. Jesus does away with intellectually impressive titles that sound holy, but picture God without any real trait of personality. The prayer begins with our Father. In Jesus' day, calling God Father was scandalous. Jewish leaders had made obedience to the law so high and exalted No one could dare approach God with using that intimate term, Father. We could say the same today about Islam. That same kind of intimacy is not possible with Islam. And because God is intensely personal, we recognize prayer is so much more than foxhole confessions. Prayer is so much more than a get-out-of-jail-free card that you need in a desperate moment. Prayer moves us into relationship. Prayer involves not just speaking, but listening. Prayer involves not just a list of needs, but an ongoing personal conversation. If you notice, confession of sin is also emphasized because sin breaks the relationship. In confession, we are honest with God and regain connection to Him. We daily apply His forgiveness. What we learn from a very relational God becomes a pattern that spills into our friendships, our marriages, our families. Confession, forgiveness, and peacemaking keep our relationships alive and growing. It is how we remain at peace with God and one another. In following this outline of prayer, peace Making becomes front and center. You cannot pray this prayer honestly and go years without addressing conflicts. Look again at verse 14. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive, neither will your Father forgive you. Now, this appears harsh and uncompromising. And it is confusing because haven't we preached God's forgiveness is unconditional? This seems awfully conditional. Here's what I think Jesus is saying to us. If you stubbornly refuse to forgive those that have hurt you, you have not yet grasped what I have done for you. 
You do not understand the degree to which you needed forgiveness and need forgiveness. Otherwise, you would see your true condition and realize you are in no position to withhold forgiveness from others. Now, by forgiving others, I mean to be in process. To honestly forgive, I realize, is much more than simply saying the words, I forgive you. It is a process. But to stubbornly refuse to even begin the process may be an indication that you have never encountered the forgiveness of God for yourself. And you may be in desperate need of spiritual conversion. The Lord's Prayer underscores that God is relational and relationships are important. This is one reason why prayer is more accessible than you think, even if you consider yourself a beginner. In a book called Prayer for Beginners, here's what Peter Kreeft wrote. Prayer is easier than we think. We want to think it is too hard or too high and too holy for us because that gives us an excuse for not doing it. This is false humility. We can all do it. Even the most sinful, shallow, silly, and stupid of us. You do not have to master some mystical method. You do not have to master a method at all. Can you talk to a friend? Then you can talk to God. For he is your friend. And that is what prayer is. The single most important piece of advice about prayer is one word, begin. God makes it easy, just do it. God also makes it easy to progress in prayer, for it gradually becomes more natural and delightful. Prayer is relational. Secondly, the Lord's Prayer is centering. What do I mean by that? I mean the opposite of being lost. Do you know when you're really lost? It's not only that you don't know where you are. It's not only you're not sure what direction you're heading. You're lost when you don't even know the next step. I remember getting lost many times. I still get lost. But I got lost too, long before GPS and smartphones. One time while walking over a piece of wooded land for a real estate developer, I got lost right smack in the middle of a woods with nothing but trees and brush in view. I couldn't see my car. I couldn't see house, road, path, anything. I was going in circles without any idea of how to get out. A dry stream bed was the answer to my desperate prayer. I wasn't sure where I was going to end up, but I knew if I followed that dry stream bed, I would eventually get out of those woods. Indeed, I came out the other side. It was a five-mile walk back to my car. But that stream bed was a solid reference point. It gave me bearings. I knew where I was and at least had a direction moving forward. That stream bed centered me. And this prayer centers us. How? By showing us the object of our faith, which is solidly the person of God. When we pray, we are not desperately informing God of what we need or moving Him by saying our prayers in a certain way. 
The illustration he uses here with the Gentiles, you get the picture that somehow God is forgetful and he comes to us and he apologizes saying, hey, I forgot what you needed. Next time, could you write it down on a little list so I can remember it? I'm awfully forgetful. And I don't know where, I don't know what your needs are. I was kind of sleeping, not watching out. It's craziness. God apologizing, wringing his hands, needing a list. What does Jesus say? The Father knows what we need even before we ask. Jesus' illustration about the Gentiles attempt to impress God by piling up these empty phrases, it actually reveals an alternative to faith in God. And that is faith in faith. This is what the Gentiles, this is their faith. It's not the faith Jesus is talking about. Although we often mistake it for that. This kind of faith says, I can manipulate God to grant my request if I pray hard enough and long enough or if I pray with the right words. This is religion without the foundation of a relationship. This is wanting God's will, God's guidance, God's blessing, but not wanting Him. Prayer in this instance becomes a form of magic. I am seeking to bend God around my will without any regard to loving Him. It is amazing how quickly all of us can fall into this trap of ritualism. I often diagnose my prayer life on the baseball field. With my sons pitching, catching or hitting, and me in the stands unable to coach or help them in a high-pressure situation, I prayed a lot. Some of you can probably relate to that. With the game on the line, what could I do with my anxiety but pray? And sometimes, in response to my prayers, or so I thought, They would get that hit or they would close out that game. And I would find myself, spiritual giant that I am, diagnosing the texture of my prayer. The prayer that worked. Hmm. Hmm. If I just repeat that prayer, the same words, that's the key. Of course, my silliness, my faith in faith would soon be exposed when the prayer did not work. The next time. You know one way we can tell if our faith is in faith? It's when we pray, but we never lose our anxiousness. We never truly let go. We cast our burden onto God, and then what do we do with it? Yeah, we reel it right back in. That is not exercising faith in God. Because we are insisting that I cannot be happy unless I receive a certain outcome. And that formula never brings the peace we long for. Because I think this is an important topic for all of us, let me just dig a little deeper. And I want to give you an example of this kind of faith from the Old Testament. We're going to look at the, briefly here the book of 1 Samuel. And in 1 Samuel, Israel the people of God, had hit absolute rock bottom. As an indication of how bad things were, the writer describes the immorality and corruption taking place 
at Israel's most holy place. There in the city of Shiloh is where the portable shrine, the center of worship, was located. Eli, along with his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were charged with overseeing temple worship. What was happening? Well, the sons were sleeping with the female staff at the temple, and they took economic advantage of the worshipers, bringing their sacrifices. Word got around about their actions. The father Eli heard about it and did nothing to stop them. In chapter 3 and verse 1, the writer describes the extent of spiritual apathy over the land, saying, In those days the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. In this spiritual condition, the writer goes on to describe a battle against the Philistines, their age-old enemy. The Israelites were defeated and lost 4,000 men. And the leaders came back and said, Why, God? How did this happen? I mean, you're on our side, right? These are your enemies, the Philistines. So they devise a plan. They go get the Ark of the Covenant, which was in Shiloh. Remember Indiana Jones there? Seriously, the Ark was a part of the portable shrine. It represented the very pinnacle of God's presence and power. Surely they could not lose with the ark in their midst. God's will, God's blessing was with them. Let's read what happened in chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. When the ark of the covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, What's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, The Philistines were afraid. A god has come into the camp, they said. Oh no, nothing like this has happened before. We're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hands of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews, as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought. And the Israelites were defeated. And every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. What's going on there? The ark had become something like magic to them. This is faith In faith. We don't need a relationship with God because we have this blessing of God. We have the formula for success. And the result was a terrible defeat. God actually gets to their hearts through his enemies. God says that he will not be manipulated. He will not be bargained with like a cheap souvenir. So the Lord's Prayer centers us by showing That the real object of our faith is not faith, but a personal God. The person of God. So, the Lord's Prayer is relational. The Lord's Prayer is centering. And finally, the Lord's Prayer is visionary. 
The Lord's Prayer paints a picture of a desirable future and captures our struggle to see it realized. For you faith veterans, if prayer has become stale or old, this is my guess, that you have lost sight that prayer is visionary. Thus we pray. Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, Jesus' kingship is fully in place. He rules and reigns and everything moves at his command. Every being responds freely. They are not coerced. They respond in love. Because of that, there is a rhythm and a symmetry and a wholeness in the relationships in heaven that is beautiful and real and unstained by loss or death. In heaven, there is perfect justice and righteousness. No one is diminished. No one is mistreated. The strong serve the weak and the weak do not resent the strong. Diversity does not create division, but is valued and is part of a larger mosaic. No one has the need to seek equality because there is oneness. In the kingdom of God, Jesus is the conductor and his subjects are the orchestra. Each member of the orchestra is convinced of his love, trusts him, and follows his lead. Jesus brings out their best, their true potential. They are fully realized. They become fully alive. This is the kingdom we are seeking to bring to the earth. These are the values guiding the church, which should embody the kingdom of God. How is this visionary? How is this visionary? In two ways. In two ways. One, it speaks of a future kingdom that will come down from heaven, according to Revelation, and will renew the earth. Followers of Jesus will participate in a recreated kingdom. Thus, no matter whatever we are going through, Whatever we are facing, this prayer breathes hope into us every day. And secondly, it is visionary with respect to the way that we live our lives now. We long, we ought to long for his rule and his reign to break into our lives today. And as members of the kingdom, we are to love, freely submit to, and obey our King. We live in his kingdom, guided by his values. Look again at the top line of the prayer in your Bibles. Do you notice it says, hallowed be your name? I believe this to actually be a request and not a statement. Many, some hold that to be the case. This is not a statement affirming God's holiness, but rather it is a request and could be translated thus, Father, may your name be treated with holiness. This is a prayer, I believe, that the king's glory would be acknowledged and applauded all over the world. This is a prayer for the fulfillment of Jesus' great commission. Go and make followers from every people group of the world. 
This is what the followers of Jesus long for. In fact, it's what the people of God have always longed for. This longing for the world to recognize God did not begin in the New Testament. In Psalm 57, verse 11, David prayed 700 years before Christ. Be exalted, O God. Let your glory be over all the earth. Psalm 145, 21. Let every creature praise his name. Psalm 156. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Several hundred years later, Isaiah echoes the same longing. Appealing to us to sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. I believe this to be the guts of the meaning. The guts of the meaning, hallowed be your name. And every time we pray it, we are partnering with the Holy Spirit in what he is already doing. Can you appreciate how radically visionary this is? Not only do we have the hope of living in God's perfect kingdom someday, but we are called to live it and expand it in the here and now in this broken world. Has your Christian life grown boring? Do you rarely feel the need to pray? Maybe, just maybe, you do not see yourself as a member of God's kingdom. Maybe you're not aware that you are a part of a counter-offensive meant to restore what was rightfully his in the first place. Now sometimes, sometimes God acts in response to our prayers. And he acts alone sometimes. He answers our prayers and we watch like flies on the wall. We're humbled, we're amazed, we're renewed. We remember, God doesn't need me. But in my experience, that has been the exception and not the rule. We are often required to be a part of the answer to our prayers. Yes, we cannot accomplish anything without God, but we have to do our part. When we pray, Father, let your glory be over all the earth. The very next words, the natural sequence ought to be, and Father, what do you want me to do? What part do I play? What part does Linworth play? When you begin to answer and act on that question, you will feel a connection to God you never had before. Why? Because you care about what matters to Him. That's what friendship is, by the way. It's having common interests and concerns. And when you connect with him like that, you will find your prayer life just swelling. This model of prayer is relational, it is centering, and it is visionary. Practically, where should I begin? Where do I start? First, I want to encourage you to memorize it. It is so rich in meaning, yet amazingly concise. Martin Luther prayed it two two times a day in the midst of his life of prayer. This is what I want to encourage you to do this morning. First thing is to weave the Lord's Prayer into your prayer life. If you're just beginning a life of prayer, you can start by repeating and saying and understanding the meaning of the Lord's Prayer. As you pray it and reflect on it, you'll find it just exploding with meaning. 
The Lord's Prayer will always help you see things from God's perspective. It can pull you out of the high weeds that you are in and can set you upon a high rock so that you're able to see clearly around you. It's amazing what happens when we can just see. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, it will elevate peacemaking after you have poured out your heart about hurts and offenses. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, it will elevate holiness after you have complained of not having your needs met or of injustices. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, it will elevate the Father love of God when you have wrestled with, struggled, and poured out your heart to God regarding your aloneness. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, it will remind you of His daily provision in the middle of your prayers for guidance. When you pray the Lord's Prayer and you are struggling with doubt because you have encountered real evil, it will remind you of evil's source and reality, its true source. And finally, when you are struggling and worried and consumed about your own significance or your own legacy, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, it will elevate God's glory and His purposes And it will help you to forget yourself. Begin praying. And weave the Lord's Prayer into your prayers. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. I want to encourage you to join us Friday night at our prayer gathering. We'll sing together. We'll pray for one another. We will focus on strengthening one another. It won't be a night where we're going to focus on mission as much as focusing on strengthening one another. It was gatherings like these where I learned to pray simply and sincerely. We not only need the outline of the model prayer that Jesus gave us, we need people with skin on to help us understand what it means to talk with God. Sincerely and simply by seeing others do it. It was modeled for me by real people, imperfect people, no doubt, but yet genuinely aspiring to be simple and sincere. There is where I learned the inflection, the tone, the language, the language of prayer. So I want to encourage you, high school students, college students, adults, I want to encourage you to come and Will you take a look at a moment at the card you were given? Let me just explain this. Nick mentioned it earlier. On one side, there is a prayer request. Every request will be prayed for that night that you turn in. If you prefer to be confidential, don't include your name. And again, please protect the names of others uh, that you might list there. On the other side, we'd like also that night to have a few of you share an answered prayer. One of the most inspiring things, one of the things we need to hear to help fire up our lives of prayer is to hear answered prayers. And so we would encourage you, write down there a recent, not something maybe 20 years ago, but a recent answer to prayer this last year. And that would encourage us, and we may have some of you you share that. We hope you'll come out Friday night. Let's pray.
Father, with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, search our hearts. You know exactly what we need this morning. Some of us have needed a challenge, uh, uh, even a rebuke to our, our abandoned and forgotten prayer lives. Fathers, others of us needed simply to have that vision reignited. Others of us, Father, are just beginning and we're not yet Christians or we're new Christians. And we've never, we're just uh, like an infant watching the contours of their mother's mouth. We're just beginning to learn the language of prayer. As I prayed in the beginning, Father, my hope this morning was that you, by your Spirit, would help give each person here some concrete step they can take. Lord, let us not walk away discouraged or disheartened if we are on that needing a challenge end, if we needed a wake-up call this morning. Father, help us just to cry our tears and wipe our tears off our face and get back up. Start again. Lord, how many times have I needed to get back up and start again? Continue now, Father, in this last segment of our service together as we sing, as we give of our resources, as we pray, as we minister to one another. Lord, continue to speak. Help us to offer our hearts through song, through prayer through our gifts. Lead our time for the glory of Christ.